Right, so here, here at Faith Church, we, we say that we are God's family on mission. That is both our identity, that's who we are, and it's why we do what we do. So we are God's family on mission. We are God's, we are his family, and we exist to live on his mission. But that's also why we do what we do. And saying that we are God's, that means that we want people who, who, who are here, a part of this family, and who are experiencing this family scattered throughout our neighborhoods. We want people to, to encounter and, and grow in intimacy with the Father, the Father who has redeemed and adopted us through Jesus and makes us family. And being family means we want people to belong to a community and follow Jesus together. And, and, and we do that in order that we can live on his mission. And so we want people to understand that they are sent empowered by the Spirit to manifest God's love to the world. That's, that's who we are, that's what we do, that's why we do what we do. And so, and so this morning, as we look at these couple of verses in Proverbs 18, I want us to see it in light of that, that since Jesus went to the cross so that we could belong to a community that follows Jesus together, we, we want to look at what the obstacles are that prevent us from doing that and, and eliminate as many of those as we possibly can. And then we want to look at the things that encourage that and fuel that, and we want to surround ourselves with that and fill our lives with as much of that as possible. So that is, that is the aim of this morning. So in Proverbs 18, verses 1 and 2, Solomon is not pulling any punches. He says, whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Jesus, we ask for you to open our eyes this morning. Spirit, we need you to move in us and through us to help us to to understand what we can't apart from you, to help us to see what we are unable to see apart from you, to help us to see what we are unwilling to even try to see apart from you. So Spirit, we know that you are here because your people are here and you dwell in your people. And we believe your promise that your word will not return without accomplishing what you intend for it to accomplish. So we cannot wait to see what you intend to accomplish through your word this morning. Amen. So this sounds like a fun one, right? <laughs> Welcome to faith. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. So this might sound like this is two separate Proverbs, but really these two are inextricably linked. They are, they are kind of two sides of the same coin in a sense because we can, we can literally isolate ourselves and, and, and separate ourselves physically from, from biblical community uh, either because we reject Christ and, and, and all that he calls us to or we can even make excuses as to why it's okay for us to do that as we are following Christ. And we'll get into that in a second. Or, or we, can, we can isolate emotionally and, and intellectually where we can actually be in the same space but, but existing in isolation. And, and the reason we do that 
at its core is that we are not willing to grow in understanding, either because of fear or because of pride. That's just not something that we are willing or interested in doing. So we can, we can literally isolate ourselves right, by cutting ourselves off from, from biblical commanded community in the church. right? And like I said, we can do that because we just reject Christ. We say, I've just had enough. I don't believe this anymore. I don't buy it. I'm out. Okay, that's one reason why we would cut ourselves off. But we can also cut ourselves off from that community because we, we convince ourselves we don't need that. Right, I've had conversations with people who, who have tried to explain to me, I actually think it's, it's better for me and my following Jesus, for me and my family to not be a part of a church right now. And we can say, you know, it's okay because I've got podcasts or I've got my, my private devotions and those are, those are going to be sufficient. And the reality is if any of those podcasts you're, listen, podcasts you're listening to are preaching the Bible or, or your private devotions have any Bible in it at all, you're going to consistently hear over and over and over again that it is impossible to follow Jesus apart from being a committed member of his church. There's good reason that the author of Hebrews warns us, do not neglect meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. And part of that is because it is quite impossible to obey Jesus and the New Testament apart from the church because most of the commands given to us relate to glorifying God in the way that we love and live with one another in the church. So if I isolate myself from that, I'm saying I refuse to obey most of the New Testament because most of the New Testament, including most of the red letters, are, are talking about how do we live and love one another. Jesus in in John 13 is telling his apostles who are about to become the very first member of the very first church, right? the first people that he calls to be a part of his church, he tells them that the world will know that they belong to him by the way that they what? Love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. So our, motiv- our motivation for pursuing deep, invested, committed community with one another is not duty or obligation or because we don't want to bum out Jesus. We do that because we pursue deep community and commitment to one another within the church because that's what hearts renewed and transformed by Jesus do. It's just that simple. People who love fishing, go fishing. People who love the Packers buy green stuff and feel happy when they win. Right? That's what you do. People who love Jesus love his people and pursue deep community with him. That's simply what you do. And not just in word or talk, but in deed and in truth. It says in 1 John. In the church, we know we're supposed to love each other, and so we can, you know, but we don't really want to, and so, you know, we don't, we don't want to say, like, well, I don't really love anybody here, and so we start to, like, kind of, you know, 
play fast and loose with how we communicate that, and we say things like, you know, well, you know, I love them, I just don't ever really want to be in the same room with them. Right? I will love them from a distance. Or maybe you've ever heard the, I know I have to love them, but I don't have to like them. We had a member of the church that I came from before coming to Wisconsin that used to love saying that. She was, she was fantastic. She was, uh, she was surly, we'll say that. Um, and she used to love, like that was, that was her excuse, saying, you know, well, I don't, uh, you know, I, know I, I love them, but that doesn't mean I have to like them. And the problem with that is the only person that you are deceiving when you say that is yourself. Because nobody else is under the illusion that you like or love anybody when you say that a lot. And by God's grace, she came to the conclusion of, wait a minute, these, this does not work. This doesn't even make sense. And the, and the reason that it doesn't make sense is because if, if what Jesus says is true, and the great commandment is love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself, these things are so interrelated that, that when you are doing one, you are doing the other. When you are not doing one, it is the evidence that you are not doing the other. John says, how can you say that you love God and you hate your brother? You don't love them. You don't even like your brothers and sisters. How can you say you, like the, you love God and his family? So the, the sneaky aspect of that is if, if one is a reflection of the other, and I'm saying I love them, I just don't like them, then I might not realize that I hold the exact same attitude towards God. I love him, I just don't want to be in the same room as him. I'm not really interested in getting intimately involved in his stuff or what he may have to say to me. So I'll just love him from a distance, which is by definition not love. Love is messy. Love is invested. Love is involved. Love is gritty. That's why it's so hard. Because we're messy. And it's difficult to love each other. It's easier to be cordial from a distance. But love, love gets its hands dirty. We see the perfect example of that at the cross, don't we? And a renewed heart regenerated and filled with the Spirit, will love the people of God, not in theory and not from a distance, but in day-to-day, messy, stuff-of-real-life reality. And if you're like me, you hear that and you think, oh, how, am I supposed to, how am I supposed to just start loving people? That's really hard, and usually when I try, it ends badly. How am I supposed to just white-knuckle that kind of obedience? And I'm begging you, don't. Don't try to just white-knuckle loving people. That never works. It's not a matter of producing something that doesn't exist in you. It's a matter of remembering what is already in you. Because if you belong to Jesus, what we see over and over again in Scripture is this picture of, well, the reason you're not walking in these things is simply because you've forgotten. 
you forgot the gospel. You forgot the way that Jesus loves you. And when you remember how he loves you and in what way he loves you and what form that love takes, then it, then it simply becomes the natural outpouring of that to love the people around you in that way. I stop following my own misguided desires which lead to division and complaining and dissension and gossip and strife and slander and isolation. And I start listening to and obeying the Holy Spirit that if you belong to Christ dwells in you and is leading you and guiding you and speaking to you and, and the result of no longer squashing him and ignoring him and, 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 and actually listening to where he's leading and guiding. Scripture promises is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Most of which all involve relating to other people. We're amazed when we read Acts 2 and we see these people who are radically transformed by the person and message of Jesus Christ and then the fruit that grows out of that is this radical commitment to scripture, to worship, and to each other. And it's not because they all sit around going, well, I guess we all got to love each other now. It's because they were so overwhelmed by who Jesus is and what he does, they were like, how can we not love each other? How can I not share what I have because I know all of it has been given and so much more? You, Jesus loves you too. Isn't that amazing? Let's, just, let's do this together. Let's follow him and pursue him together. It's just the natural outpouring of that. So when I don't feel that for my brothers and sisters, it is revealing what I am lacking in that understanding and that love towards my Jesus. I'm forgetting who he is and the way that he loves me and that is resulting in my inability or unwillingness to live in that for each of you. You were radically committed to one another, not to church attendance, but to each other. They did not commit to the church because they loved the music or the teaching or the building or the stuff that it offered or the way that it did things. They were committed to the actual church, capital C Church, the gathered people of God. They're adopted brothers and sisters. I promise you, church, everything changes when you are able to look around this room Look at the other faces in this place and sincerely know I need these people. I need them and want to gather with them, not just for 70 minutes a week on a Sunday, but I want, I need to live life alongside these people because I know we all need the same Jesus. And this is just better when we follow him together. Because that's how we were created to live. It's not only in gathering and corporate worship, but it's certainly not less than that either. Right? Maybe you're hearing this and you're thinking, 
Robbie, why are you telling us this? We're all here, aren't we? Obviously, we know it's important to gather because I'm sitting in the seat listening to you yammer on right now, Helene. So I'm here, aren't I? I it's a fair point. But the, the truth is that we, if we never take the time while we are gathered to talk about why we are gathered, that's how it becomes easy to, to sit here and not realize you are in complete isolation or to just quietly slip out the door and not come back because you feel like you don't need this. So while we're gathered, we take the opportunity to explain why it is important that we gather. So why are we here? Because to believe that, that sitting here for, for an hour, hour and 15 minutes every Sunday is living in community and pursuing Jesus together. That, if, if, if you believe that, then that's, that's revealing a misunderstanding of of what God created and saved you for, because this is barely scratching the surface. However, if you believe that sitting in the same room with the gathered people of God for 70 minutes a week is unnecessary, that is equally misguided. Because this gathering is a beautiful and essential aspect of our worship and our following Jesus together. This is the place where, where we do together what we have been doing scattered throughout the week. Right? So as individuals and, and in our families, we are worshiping and we are digging through the Word and we're meditating on that and we are praying. And then we all gather together and do those things together as a group because because something different and beautiful happens in there. There's something different and beautiful that is happening in your time that is just you and Jesus. And there's something beautiful and extraordinary that happens when the people of God come together and I get to see the Jesus in you and the Jesus in you and I get to hear the way you worship and interact with him and I get to be blessed by that and grow in that and the Holy Spirit that dwells in all of us is, is, is here, not because he's in this building in a unique way, but because all of us who have the Spirit in us are all gathered together and so there is something unique and powerful that is happening in that. This place is also the place where we gather to remind one another of important truths, that we are redeemed and adopted, that we are all one. It is, a, it is a habit of unifying where we come together and remember that we are in this together. And then when we scatter out into our communities and into our lives, we have the reminder of we're not in this alone. We are a part of a people. And this is a place where we practice certain things in a formal way that by God's grace are happening in an organic way throughout the rest of the week, right? So we worship together through songs and, and we preach the Bible and we do things like communion and, and, and we practice these things together and we develop these habits. But, but if this is the only place those things are happening, then that's a problem. 
Communion, for example, is a great picture of that. We gather around the table and we tell you like part of this is reminding one another that we are family. And so we gather around the family table with the shared plate and the shared cup and we, and we see one another and we remember as we take the bread, I see my brother across the table, I see my sister and I am reminded that we are brothers and sisters with the same father purchased by the same Jesus and we are reminded of that. But, but if this is the only time that that is happening, then of, then of course that can feel artificial. Right? Like you're just kind of walking through this motion of pretending to be family, right? I walk up to the table and I share this bread and I see this person, but they're not really my family. But in that practice, what is supposed to be happening here is igniting that reminder and that desire to then live the rest of the week as the blood-bought family of Jesus. So gathering is... Important. It is never less than this, but it is certainly immeasurably more than this. So when people give me the argument that they believe it is actually going to be better for them or their family to not participate in the corporate church, that they are better off doing it by themselves, I'm forced to remind them that to pull away from the gathered people of God is never an act of following Jesus. Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire, it says. That is the sign. No, 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 I know better. I, 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 it's better for me to do this my way. That, you can say that. That's fine. You can believe that. You can choose to walk in that. Just don't say that, that my way of following Jesus is to follow my own desires. Because what you were functionally saying then is... I believe the best way to follow Jesus is to disobey Jesus. Which, which is why then the second half of that verse says, they break out against all sound judgment. You stop making rational sense. It is, it is self-deception to believe that in order to better follow Jesus, I need to disobey Jesus. And it's not only sin, but as the proverb says, it is irrationally unwise. Whoever isolates himself breaks out against all sound judgment. In my fear or in my pride or in my arrogance, I abandon all judgment and separate myself from, from the very lifeline that is keeping me afloat. And the thing that's so tricky about this is that you can do this while you're still sitting in the room. We can isolate ourselves without ever leaving the building. I can be isolated in the midst of the crowd, emotionally, or spiritually, or intellectually. I can do that by saying, I'm, I'm, I'm here, I'm here with us, but not really with us. Not really on board. I've, I've already made up my mind as to what I think is right. I don't really need to consider any other things. I've made my decision. I know. And really all I'm doing is waiting for the rest of you to figure out what I already know. So I'll come. I'll, I'll participate. I'll show up. But there's really no need for me to listen or to grow 
or to learn or to change because I already know. This can take a couple forms. For, for some, this is not diabolical self-righteousness, it's just fear. Because for some of us, we, we don't want to try to listen and grow because we've tried that and we were wounded. We're, we're, we're motivated by fear. Our isolation is caused by fear because we've put ourselves out there in the past and, and the way that that person responded to us violated a dozen other proverbs about not using harsh words about not making light of other people's suffering, about having no empathy. And when that was the response, you said, don't do that anymore. That's it. Those, those wounds are real and those wounds are painful. But those wounds are a terrible reason to stop listening. A terrible reason to stop listening to others and seeking understanding. A terrible reason to not continue to reach out in order to find those relationships that you know in the deepest recesses of your soul you so desperately need. When we, when we abandon what is good and right and healthy because something negative happened, that is a part of that abandoning reason. It's not too unlike somebody saying, I don't, uh, I stopped eating. I don't eat anymore. Because every time I ate lima beans, they were gross and they made me feel sick. Go, buddy, you, you, you should you should definitely keep eating. Just maybe don't eat the lima beans anymore. And we'd say, why, why on earth would you, would you abandon what you need in order to survive because of a, ne a negative experience? And so maybe, maybe you don't need to keep going back to that same person for advice. Maybe that's not the person that you go to for counsel. But to retreat in fear and say, I just, I don't put myself out there anymore is is to cut yourself off from what is absolutely necessary to flourish fully as a human, let alone as a Christian and a member of the body of Christ. For others, it is motivated by self-righteousness or pride. It's just as simple as, I'm right and all the rest of you are wrong. So, I'm the guy who gives advice. I'm not the one who takes it. To that, Solomon writes, a fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. He says only a fool would take the position of, I don't need to learn, I don't need to grow, I have this figured out. Everyone else should be listening, for, I should be the teacher. Everyone else should be listening to what I have to say. I think we all can agree this is the theme of the internet, is it not? Social media, blogs, 
24-hour news channels, email forwards, talk radio, all of these things are avenues where there's no attempt whatsoever made to listen, but only to express our opinions. And sometimes not even to express our opinions, but simply to express why everyone else's opinion is clearly wrong and stupid. The truth is these avenues of communication are not the problem, right? All they are are just means new technologies that allow us to feed the beast, right? The problem is not out there. The problem is in here. So assuming that we do not want to be fools who lack all sound judgment, can I assume that? Hopefully. Okay, good. What is that? What, how, do we, how do we walk in this? How do we... How do we heed the warnings of Solomon and, and, and walk in this? Our Jesus declares over and over and over again, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Our way of overcoming these temptations and, 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 and ridding ourselves of the obstacles of foolishness and unwillingness to grow in our understanding is to become listeners. Christians should be the best listeners ever. Jay mentioned that a couple of weeks ago. You know, we should be the best listeners ever. And, and sadly, as a general rule, we are not. We have a fair reputation in the world that we are known more for what we are against than what we are for. And that is because oftentimes we are slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to become angry. Which, if you're familiar with the book of James, is the exact opposite of what he commands of us. James says we should, in fact, be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to become angry. A few verses down in Proverbs 18, verse 13, it says, if one gives an answer before he hears, it is his folly and shame. If we're not listening, if we speak without listening, we not only look like, but are fools. When our goal is simply convincing other people of our opinion, we are revealing foolishness, not wisdom and knowledge. Any fool can talk and does, usually a lot. Wisdom is found and love is found in listening. There's even a proverb about that. When words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is prudent. I could not help thinking of my dad this week as I was praying through these verses. My dad was a man of sometimes frustratingly few words. He was an incredibly quiet, borderline stoic individual. He was fun, he was kind, he was never cold, but he was incredibly quiet. And I wasn't sure if that was, as growing up, I didn't know, like, is that just, you know, dad around the house? You know, because he's, my dad was an attorney for, for over 40 years, and so... They have to do a lot of talking, and so I thought maybe he just gets all of his words out at work, and by the time he comes home, he's, he's this way. But at my dad's funeral, one of his partners 
stood up and said, and said, Otis had a reputation among all the partners in the firm and even against the lawyers that we would, or with the lawyers that we would, um, that we would often try, or, try cases against. And, and he said, if we all understood that if Otis ever disagreed with you, it was wise for you to go back and reevaluate your opinion because if Otis thought that it was important enough to say out loud, he was probably right. His reputation among both his partners and his adversaries was that if he's going to say it out loud, that's only because he has spent so much time thinking about it and processing it that it must be important enough to say out loud. That is extraordinary. And I thought that was just my dad's wiring. I thought that was just his gifting until... After, after my dad died, we were going through some of his things. I stumbled on an old notebook that he had. I'd never seen it before growing up. It was kind of tucked away in a cabinet, but it was tucked away in a cabinet that was right within, always within reach of, of where his desk was. And I found this, and I'm flipping through this book, and it's just page after page of Proverbs, Scripture, and quotes from poets and authors and philosophers about the value of, of holding your tongue. I thought, holy smokes. This was not his wiring. This was his choice. Say, I'm going to be a better listener than talker. And if I'm going to say it, it's because I've thought it is valuable to the people that I'm speaking it to. We need to be first and foremost listeners to Jesus to our neighbors and to one another right we listen to Jesus because what are we followers of Jesus or are we not followers of Jesus right we wait what did he actually say not what do I like or feel comfortable with or what am I willing to do but what or what works with my plans but because when we do that, we end up creating Jesus in our own image, and then we worship that. But what did Jesus actually say? And when he says that abundant life is found in following his commands, do I know what those commands are? Do I believe that he actually expects me to do those things, and to think those things, and to be those things? If I don't, then I'm not listening to Jesus. Excuse me, thousands of people heard Jesus speak, but few listened. And that's still the case. We must be listeners to Jesus through his word and through prayer. When you pray, how much time do you spend talking and, and, and how much time do you spend listening to see if he's actually trying to answer you? When you read the Bible, I, I urge you to read with the intention of trying to understand Jesus more. When you read what Jesus says, I urge you to ask yourself, how do I start to obey that immediately and then do that thing? I want very, very much to be a person and to be a part of a church that does not waste life ignoring or even obeying an imaginary Jesus that we have made up in our heads. 
but to make the most of every moment to follow the real Jesus in the sometimes difficult, sometimes painful, always abundant, always unspeakably joyful mission that he has called us to live for. My sheep hear my voice, Jesus says, and they follow me. We need to listen to Jesus. We need to listen to our neighbors. When was the last time you really listened to your neighbor? Not just talked about your lawns or small talk as you bump into each other in the in the driveway or about the weather or whatever, but, but, but really listened to them to hear what's going on in their lives. Maybe you feel like, I already know everything I need to know about them, right? I know what family they're from. That's all I need to know. Or I had that interaction with them. That told me all I need to know. Or maybe they seem fine and they seem happy. So there's no reason to ever think that they may be hurting or need help or need Jesus. I'll just urge you, what, what if you sought to gain understanding rather than just expressing your opinion about the weather or the Packers and, and asked more questions than you did make statements to get to know your neighbors and, and And just like in Scripture, our question is always, well, who's our neighbors? Well, I would start with your neighbors. That's a great place to start, but then the way Jesus turns that around and says, "Who, who are you not supposed to be a neighbor to? So listen to our neighbors, and then lastly, listen to one another. Listen to loving biblical encouragement and correction from one another. One of the beautiful benefits to living in committed community is that you become known. People know you well enough to know how to encourage you well and know you well enough to know what needs to be corrected. And if someone loves you enough to share a corrective word with you and you are willing to hear it and receive it, then you are all the better for it. Proverbs 18 Verses 17, a couple more verses down. It says, The one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. That's why we need each other. Because I sound like a genius until someone loves me enough to ask a follow-up question. That just happened to me this week. I went in, I boldly marched in the Jay's office and was telling him about something that I was going to be doing. And I said, and I am never going to do this. Like four minutes later and three questions that Jay asked me, I was like, eh, I should probably do that. Because <laughs> he was right. And I was being a fool. I had all kinds of confidence and, and I stated my case and it seemed right until the other came and examined me and asked just a couple clarifying questions and my answers were so stupid that I realized I, this, I, this was clearly not a good idea because I don't have a good answer to the why. We need that from each other. Left to my own devices, I'm a wealth of terrible ideas. I'm a fountain of bad plans and misguided desires, but 
when I have a family that loves me enough to say, well, why are you doing that? Why do you think that's important? How does that glorify God? And then it gives me pause. Proverbs 12 says, whoever loves discipline, there we go, whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, but he who hates reproof is stupid. Solomon may be lacking, lacking a little tact on this one, but he's getting right to the point. Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge, loves understanding, loves growing, and the one who doesn't is stupid. He just divided all of the world into two groups. Those, those who appreciate being corrected because it allows them to grow and the stupid. That's not super sensitive, Solomon, but Solomon's point here is not to be sensitive. His point is to say, look, we've got to lay this out. Because we have deceived ourselves into thinking the one who is stupid is the one who doesn't know. And Solomon says, no. That's not the stupid one. The stupid one is the one who thinks he does know and doesn't think that he has to learn, doesn't think that she can be corrected, doesn't think that they need to hear advice. The way of the fool is right in his own eyes, but the wise man listens to advice. We need to listen to one another. It's not easy to hear. It's seldom easy to hear. Sometimes it's painful. It almost always pokes you in that little spot of pride where you're like, well, I thought that was a really good idea. But it's not. We are afraid that people will think we are fools because we don't have all the answers when in reality, the fool is the one who cannot admit that they don't have all the answers and refuses to hear that there might be a better way. And the worst part about that is that there is collateral damage with this kind of foolishness. If that only hurt me and my own heart and my own soul, that would be bad enough. But Solomon warns, Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life, but he who rejects reproof leads others astray. There is collateral damage. It hurts the people around us when I am unwilling to receive correction. I continue to walk in sin that's doing damage. I continue to disciple those people in Christless behavior. There's collateral damage to being unwilling to be lovingly corrected. So my unwillingness to listen, my unwillingness to receive correction, lovingly respectful correction from my brothers and sisters leads people away from Jesus. May it never be, church. But if we grab the first half of three of these Proverbs that we just read, Whoever loves discipline loves knowledge. The wise man listens to advice. Whoever heeds instruction is on the path to life. That is the path that we want to be on, isn't it, church? Path to life. 
We started with why this matters, right? Because we are God's family on mission and, and being family means belonging to a community that is following Jesus together. God created us in his image as his image bearers. And even though we fractured that image because of sin, Jesus makes redemption and adoption possible through the cross so that we can live in committed community belonging to one another, belonging to Jesus, and following him together. And then ultimately to be sent in the power of the Holy Spirit to make his love evident to the world around us. We cannot follow Jesus without listening to him. We cannot belong and grow if we're not listening to each other. And no one will connect to this incredible eternal community if we aren't listening to our neighbors so that we have the opportunity to demonstrate real love to real people and have the proper context to demonstrate and declare the transformative gospel. Sin festers isolation and loneliness and foolishness and division and bondage, but the gospel offers belonging and wisdom and unity and freedom. That is how we want to be marked as a family in this place. If only we have ears to hear, which produce hearts that trust and leads to wills that obey. As the band comes up and we respond in worship, we remember together We remind each other that we are family and practice the habit of sharing meals and living as family together. We, we share in communion. In Matthew chapter 26, it says, Now as they were eating, Jesus took bread, and after blessing it, he broke it and gave it to the disciples and said, Take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks to it, for it, he, he gave it to them, saying, Drink of this, all of you. For this cup is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And so we worship, we respond as the blood-bought family of Jesus. We come around the table to a cup and to a loaf of bread broken, representing his body and his blood so that we can remember and rejoice. Jesus, we thank you for your cross. We thank you that we can remember this together. We thank you that you completely and utterly and in every way defeated the cross. so that we not only have one another, but we have you. Not just in eternity, but right now. Remind us of that as we take this bread, as we share in this cup. Remind us that we belong to you and to one another. We love you, we need you. It's you that we worship. Amen.